Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's message was given by First Pres Interim Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Tassie Green. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Three weeks ago, we look at God and likely rescuer of Moses, a group of bold women. Two weeks ago, we learn how Moses encountered God in a burning bush. Last week, we learn more about the God who hears our cry. Today, we hear how God calls Moses and God's people to worship and go where God sends them. Like us, they are not quite ready to listen and obey. God is working to melt the Israelites' hearts towards God, and at the same time, God's white-hot heat, white heat hardens Pharaoh's. Our scripture reading is selected from Exodus, chapter 5, verse 1 through chapter 7, verse 5, found in the Old Testament section of our Red Pew Bibles, beginning on page 53. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Lord, may the word of our mouths and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Pharaoh, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Who is the Lord, that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now, let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God or he may strike us with plague or with the sword. Moses, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubbles to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had done. And Pharaoh's slaves' drivers beat the Israelites' overseers they have appointed, demanding, why haven't you met your quota of bread yesterday or today, as before? Then the Israelites' overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh. Why have you treated your servants this way? Lazy. That's what you are. Lazy. This is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to your work. You will not be given any straw yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble 
when they were told, you are not to reduce the numbers of breaks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them, and they said, May the God look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hands to kill us. Why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people. And you have not rescued your people at all. Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let my people go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. The Lord said to Moses, You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and I will multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, I will lay my hand upon Egypt and bring my people, the Israelites, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. By this, you shall know that I am the Lord. Thanks be God. So we're hearing all about what happened in the land of Egypt. And I was thinking about this in light of the other day I was strolling past a bakery because I have a special diet. I'm gluten-free. Any others have special diets, vegetarian or anything? I know we annoy some people but we do it for our health, right? So as I was strolling past the bakery, enjoying the free smells, I saw a sign that said, sugar, because no good story begins or ends with salad. I agree. Well, in our stories today, we could say, God, because no good story begins or ends with Pharaoh. Pharaoh was really trying hard to be a gutsy man. And yet we know he didn't have the first word, and he doesn't get the last word. Thanks to our readers who helped us live into that story, to hear it anew. But do you find it's hard to find yourself in this story, in God's story? I want to back up for a second to Exodus 4 just before what you heard today. Moses and Aaron had brought God's people the good news that God planned to rescue them. The Bible says, and they believed. 
And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. So Moses tells his people of God's plan to get them out of the country. And they all cheer, of course, and say, well, when, how? And Moses and Aaron say, we're going to just go over to Pharaoh and punch our time cards and clock out of here. But Pharaoh says, not so fast, right? Moses and Aaron go and give God's command. Pharaoh was a gutsy man, and he says, "Uh uh-uh, no way, no how. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice is actually what he said. And then he went further. He made life harder for the for the Israelites. And what he said was he was going to keep them busy so they had no time to listen to lies. As my kids would have said, ooh, you're going to get it. You called God's word a lie. An author I like to read, Timothy Glover, points this out, that the world has no respect for God's word. It might just seem like lies to them. A sinner will either yield to God's word or resist it and become hardened. In one sense, God hardened Pharaoh's heart by presenting God's claims. But Pharaoh himself hardened his own heart by resisting God's claims. And so it got worse and worse and worse. There's a Puritan saying that the same sun that melts ice also hardens clay. That's what's going on here. God is melting the Israelites' heart towards him while also hardening Pharaoh's with the same axe. I don't know about you. You know that I love questions, so I have so many questions for us to ask about this story. What did the people do in crisis? How does God respond? How are we like Pharaoh or like the Hebrews? Who or what is Pharaoh in our lives and in the church? Who is God in our story? So when the people are caught between a rock and a hard place or a brick and a hard place in this situation, what do they do in crisis? What do the people do? The story we heard says that they look to Pharaoh for help first. The one who enslaved them. They look to that one for help rather than going back to Moses and back to God. Instead of trusting and calling on God, the people scatter to find straw. They even ask their overseers to complain to Pharaoh. How's that going to go? Everyone suffers even more. Still, the Hebrews are not yet ready to turn to God. Now is it easy or harder to see ourselves in their story? You see, they still are enslaved. They still are suffering greatly. They are not yet ready to trust Moses or trust God. And so, this is part of God's process in the whole Exodus, that God is helping lead and form a people who go from being enslaved to being free people who freely want to love and serve God. And this is part of that process. So what might help us understand how we could get into this story? I thought about an allegory. So let's suppose that I have a hunk of a junk car that I drive to and from on my commute every day, 55 minutes, barely makes it from Palatine to Evanston, 
And one day on my lunch hour, I meet a benefactor in Evanston who says, come over to my car shop by 5 p.m. and I will trade in your junker for a brand new sports car. Whoa, wouldn't that be fantastic? I just have to be there by 5 p.m. Now, suppose I'm on the way and a tire gets punctured on my car. I'm on my way to get this new car. Will I stop and get the flat fixed? Or if it breaks down on the side of the road on Dempster, will I call a tow truck? No. Time is running out to get what is promised, this new car. I won't be distracted by a setback. I won't try to improve it or patch it. I will leave my junker by the side of the road and let Evanston's finest deal with it. And I will call Uber and hustle on over, leave my old car behind if, if I know my benefactor's character is true and that their word is good, then I will give up the old to move towards the new, to race towards the new. See how the Hebrews are understandably, because of their circumstance, because of being enslaved, not yet feeling freed in their mindset. Well, that's God's goal in this situation. They've heard God's promise through Moses, but it hasn't sunk yet deeply into their hearts and their minds. They need some proof, more than just words. So instead, in the meantime, they rabble-rouse, they accuse Moses of making things worse, all they see is the setback. Now, is it easy or hard to find ourselves in this story? All God's promises, all Moses' plans seem threatened because Pharaoh and his hard heart aren't acknowledging God, definitely not seeming to cooperate with God. Or is he? Without knowing it. If God will rescue the Israelites in the long term, as the story is told, what does it matter if they have enough straw to make more bricks? Well, it matters to them. But in the long run, God has announced God's plans to do a grand miracle and to save them completely. So God is not concerned with arranging a more comfortable enslavement. God has something bigger in mind. God wants complete freedom for them, mind and body. And that's why God raises the stakes even higher by hardening God's heart. I've had plenty of conversations with young people who say, why does this happen? It's so hard for us to understand all the suffering involved in this. But no safe, small, more comfortable enslavement will do for God, even if it is familiar. Notice that even Moses as a leader falls into the trap at first. What does Moses do? He starts to retreat back to his trouble mindset. Making, he's thinking things are worse than they're started. He goes to God and says this, Why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Moses was discouraged. Moses was backsliding into frustration. Yet we notice that he does one of the things he does best. He goes to God in honest conversation and prayer. He models it. 
that God is big enough to handle our worries, our fears, even our complaints, and even when our concern seems as arrogant and mighty as Pharaoh, even when our bonds seem as inescapable as being enslaved, when we are in trouble, we can turn to God. So how did God respond? Let's look at that. What did God do? God did not grow angry. In fact, God reminded Pharaoh, uh, excuse me, Moses, of what God had planned. God, in chapter 6, you could look it up later, reminds Moses of God's name, God's covenant with God's people, God's personal concern, God's faithful promises. Because basically, God's I will and I am are enough to overcome the enemy, the difficulty. But we notice that it's still a not yet. God did not yet arrange for God's people to be released from Egypt the the easy way. Certainly not on the first try. It's going to get harder before it gets better. Pharaoh's heart will harden more and more. God will bring these ten plagues to show God's power. And if you look, each one directly shows how God is more powerful than one of the ten Egyptian gods. It's an interesting thing to look at, to show that Yahweh is greater. So God turns the water into blood, sends frogs, gnats, flies, livestock disease, sores, thunder and hail to ruin crops, locusts, darkness, and of course the death of the firstborn. Those ten plagues not only show Pharaoh who's more powerful, show the Egyptian gods who's more powerful, but they build faith and confidence within the Hebrew people at the same time so that they'll be brave enough to set out with Moses into the wilderness. Bill Sitzma, who's from Calvin Seminary, writes, God is not interested in merely making the conditions of Israel's enslavement more tolerable. God is determined to answer their cry by freeing them so they can become God's people in a free land. So God is no ordinary hero. In a Western movie, you know what happens, the plot line. The hero comes into town, is drawn into the plight of someone who needs rescue. Once the injustice is set right, perhaps with a gunfight, Then the hero rides off into the sunset on his horse. No, not God. God wants to make the Israelites God's people. So God is preparing to enter into long-term covenant relationship with them. God has taken up the cause of the Israelites against the oppressor. This is a liberation story. God has chosen God's people The distinction that God has made causes two polar opposite consequences. They're big consequences. For Israel, they're great consequences. God demonstrates God's love, takes drastic measures to free them. God is willing to get involved in a terribly messy situation and take any steps, even awful steps, to free them. Now for Egypt... The consequences are much more difficult. God acts in a way that causes terrible suffering. Pharaoh repeatedly refuses to acknowledge God's power. 
So God responds with this escalating series of plagues in order to demonstrate without question God's power. And finally, God strikes that awful blow of the firstborn son that will ultimately free God's people. It shows us that if you are God's, God will fight for you. So how are we like Pharaoh? Well, hopefully we don't have hardened hearts like Pharaoh, but we are alike in that even if we do, or should I say when we do, have hardened hearts, our hard-hearted condition cannot stop God's work. So how are we like the Hebrews? I love this stained glass window that I'm going to show you from the National Cathedral in uh, Washington, D.C. It is actually um, 12 of the most beloved Negro spirituals. And um, we'll zoom in on the, the right corner, which is the one you heard this morning, Go Down Moses. It's the enslavement of the people. And I don't want us to make this story just into a spiritual allegory. It is not that. People were oppressed, suffering terribly, crying out to the Lord. We can't forget that our God is a God of true liberation, wherever people may be suffering. God is trying to free them, and God is trying to free us from any bonds completely. So I wonder, are we willing to settle for less than complete freedom? That's not God's promise. That's not God's plan for them or for us. We have a different kind of bonds that we struggle. Sin is no match, though, for our powerful God. So who or what is Pharaoh in our lives? What force is trying to act as the tyrant that will keep us enslaved, make us work faster and faster with less and less to build more and more. Because we build bricks all the time. We struggle. For example, maybe you're working against injustice that we see around us. It's such a difficult battle that sometimes we give up or we become overwhelmed. We don't know what to do. Or perhaps in our families, as parents, we know what we should do. We know the discipline that will have an impact, but it will also create hassles or conflict. Or with the generations before us, if we are in the sandwich generation, same thing. We often know in our guts the action that we should take. But we can't quite get free of the need to please. So we back down. We're settling for less than freedom for us or in our families. Galatians 5.1 promises, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. We do it all the time. I have a friend who struggled this year with alcoholism. It reared its ugly head during an incredibly stressful work and family time. And so a friend confronted him in love, and he went to AA for three weeks. And while he'll be the first to say that he has been um, sober for 140 or more days, he stopped going to the AA meetings. And his friend and I had to say to him, 
You can't be too busy. You're too busy not to go. He's got too much at stake not to gather all the help that is around them, the support that he can get. We all struggle in these various ways. What about in the church today? After a long tradition of how we do everything, we might begin to fear change, start looking at the comfortable, stop looking for bold new ways that God is calling us to follow God as free people in a free land, freely loving God. Sometimes we slip into survival mode, making brick by brick in our personal lives or in the church. How can we make enough money to go forward? We're stuck brick by brick. Sometimes we forget to look up from our busy brick making to hear God's voice and listen anew for God's plan, to catch a great big God-sized vision for ourselves, for our families, and for the church. So who is God in our story? Does our God sound like a God who is willing to let us stay enslaved to sin, to be bound by alcoholism, to have our marriages ruined by pornography, or to let our talents waste away because we're afraid, to overlook racism, or to ignore the ways that the most vulnerable in our, in our areas are being harmed by what's going on? God went to great lengths to send God's only son, Jesus, to the cross to free us from our sin. Jesus died to free us. Does that sound like the comfortable path? Our God is willing to go to great lengths. Now, is it easy or is it difficult to find ourselves in God's story? Because we know something about the end of the story that the Israelites did not at this point. We know that God knows how to part the seas. We know that God knows how to provide for them. They'll be able to walk through on dry land and leave Pharaoh splashing behind them. We know this about our God, and yet we forget too. We forget to turn to God for help. We settle into the familiarity of brick-making. And if it doesn't make our circumstances better, at least it doesn't cause conflict. But yet, we too can turn to God to learn from time in prayer and conversation with God like Moses did, to be reminded from God's word, who is this rescuing God who longs to set us free? What are God's good plans for each of us? Because we serve a mighty God who does not bargain with Pharaoh. I encourage each of us to turn to God to release you. You can find Christ's freedom. What is there to do next? In fact, after church, there'll be prayer companions available up front if you'd like to pray specifically about something in your life that is keeping you enslaved, or for a loved one in your family, I encourage you to bravely act to set others free, whether on a global scale or whether locally with your friends and family. I encourage you to talk boldly about the problems going on. Don't avoid, but also don't judge. 
If we're to help, we do it in love, out of God's love. Just as God encouraged Moses in Exodus chapter 6 by reminding him, I am the Lord. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and by mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. God's I am and I will are enough to overcome the trouble, even when they have a hard heart, especially when they or we have a hard heart. Amen.